So I don't know about you, but it feels to me like basically everything we do now has political implications. Anybody else feel like that? Like any, anything you do, anything you say, anything you buy even, has some sort of political message that's tied to it. And so you have to think about what, what, is, what is this thing that I'm doing or saying or, or buying communicating to someone other than me? Um, now, on the one hand, I, I think that in some ways this is a good movement because it acknowledges that there are things in this world that aren't overtly political, that, that uh, easily tip into the political realm because politics is about power and influence. And there are certain things that we willfully or um, unknowingly participate in or do that promote power or promote influence or allocation of resources in ways that are sometimes, you know, kind of problematic and we might want to pay attention to. At the same time, it can be like exhausting to try to think through, if I buy this thing, what is this communicating about myself or what my priorities are or what my politics are? It's seemingly meaningless things like your grocery store. Anybody uh, shop at Whole Foods? There's literally crickets outside. <laughs> we got two people to raise their hands. Okay. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, okay, so Whole Foods, right? Whole Foods is a grocery store one of many different kinds of grocery stores, right? They kind of have their own brand that they fit into, that they have kind of, they've taken up this corner, but they're a grocery store, right? Um, I like Whole Foods just fine. It's a, it seems like a decent grocery store. Um, the co closest Whole Foods to here is about 15 minutes away in Woodbury, which is a little bit further of a drive than some of the places that are like literally on the next block. And so I'm, I'm less likely to go to Whole Foods even if I like it there. Um, there's also like the, the expense that, that I keep in mind. Um, some of the same item, exact same items, if I go to Target or Aldi or even Cub are gonna be uh, a lot cheaper than if I go to Whole Foods. So like that's a consideration too. Um, also in 2017, Whole Foods was bought by Amazon, which if you're a person like me and you think about, again, some of those ethical implications and like uh, the motives that companies have behind them, the profit motives, uh, that might make you a little bit uncomfortable and might change your ideas of where you wanna shop and, and when you wanna shop there. Um, and then also, I'm a vegetarian, and um, that means that I have different kind of food needs than a lot of people. And, and so one of the things that Whole Foods has often is some good, uh, unique, plant-based food options that I might not be able to find somewhere else. So even with all those other caveats why I might not go there, it might be worth a 15-minute drive to go there, spend a little bit more because of some of the uh, ethical implications of this stuff that I'm buying. So Whole Foods, it's like another grocery store, right? Actually, Whole Foods is also a political harbinger. 
uh, this, this political scientist or political reporter named Dave Wasserman, about 10 years ago, started looking at the data coming in at, uh, off of um, elections and trying to figure out what are some of the demographics and the psychographics that influence or inform uh, how people vote. And what he started realizing was that your proximity to Whole Foods, a Whole Foods restaurant, is really good at predicting how your county will vote. So in 2018, this is the midterm election of 2018, four years ago, he put together these numbers after the election and found out that 78% um, of the counties that have a Whole Foods in them voted Democratic. 78%. So if you lived in a county with a Whole Foods, it was highly likely that you were voting for someone in Congress who was a Democrat. Now, this is just like, midterm elections can be weird. We've got another one coming up this year. Uh, this is just like a fluke, right? Well, then the 2020 election happens, and he digs into the exact same data, and this is what he found in 2020. Joe Biden won the presidency, winning 85% of the counties with a Whole Foods, and 32% of the counties with a Cracker Barrel. So, like, the contrast is Whole Foods and Cracker Barrel and what shopping or eating at one of those places might say about your politics, which is wild. So he breaks it down even more. And what this means is that, is that if you live in a county with a Whole Foods and no Cracker Barrel, there's 95% chance that your county voted Democrat. If you have a Whole Foods and a Cracker Barrel, it's still 77% chance. If, however, your county has just a cracker barrel, the odds drop to 18, and if neither, 12. This is wild, right? These are just like a restaurant and, and, and a grocery store, and yet they are highly predictive of how we vote about some of the most important things in our country and our world. It, like, it's just, it's wild, right? Um, now, it's, it's like, what is this? Why, why is this happening? And what on earth does this have to do with church? Why are we talking about Whole Foods and Cracker Barrel in church? This isn't a Southern Baptist church down, down in Tennessee or something talking about Cracker Barrel. The closest, I think there's one Cracker Barrel in the Twin Cities. We don't have one in Washington County, which informs you how it probably voted. But why on earth are we talking about these, these, uh, this grocery store and restaurants and, and, and why we're talking about it in church, it's because it's not just, this is not just a conversation about politics. It's not just about politics and how we vote. It's about polarization and our drive against and away from one another, our refusal even at times to relate with one another. You can think of polarization being like the two opposite poles of a magnet that have like these electromagnetic forces that are invisible to us but are definitely there that are driving us apart. Ezra Klein in his book he released in 2020 I believe um, called, simply called Why We're Polarized phrases it like this. 
Every dimension of our lives, ideology, religiosity, geography, and so on, carries a psychological signal, and those psychological signals strengthen as they align. What's been happening to American life is we're taking the magnets and we're stacking them on top of one another. So the push-pull force of that stack is multiplied, particularly for people most engaged in politics. In theory, there's nothing about organic apples or all-day waffles that should predict our politics, but our affinities and preferences layer atop each other in complex ways. If you go back to my definition about what Whole Foods is and what my relationship is, it, it shows you some of those layers, right? Whole Foods is a uh, we have a Whole Foods in our county. I'm able to choose. I have access to choice to not go there. I choose that based on economics and ethics. I am myself vegetarian. I use the phrase plant-based. All of those things kind of stack on top of each other to inform you and or like give signals to you what I'm like or what people like me are like that, that might drive you towards me or might drive you uh, away from me in like a very polarized type of way. Everything feels political and everything feels polarized these days in ways that it didn't before. And so there's this question that I often think about like, it's, it's never been this bad, right? It's never been this bad. And then there's the Bible that comes out and says, hold my beer. <laughs> so this morning we're going to go back 2,000 years and halfway across the world to a city called Corinth. Corinth was an ancient city in ancient Rome. It's, it's in what, uh, what's now known as Greece, right? And it was a very important city in the Roman Empire. And it was one of the first places that the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' earliest followers who went on these missionary journeys and planted all these churches, he stopped on one of these missionary journeys in Corinth, started a church there, set up local leadership, convinced enough people of this way of Jesus that he could uh, put it into other people's hands and then go about planting other churches, convinced that things were going to work well on the other side without him directly there. Well, things went a little bit differently than that because uh, he wasn't planting in a, in a vacuum. Um, it wasn't like he was bringing in these, these bags of gardening soil where he knew exactly what was in them and he could transport them and set them there. There was already a soil that was present there with, with nutrients that were already at work there, cultural nutrients. And one of the cultural nutrients in Corinth was that they loved wisdom, absolutely loved wisdom. What they loved even more than wisdom were people who were wise. So at this time, there were these traveling preachers and teachers, these itinerant preachers who would move between different cities, and when they arrived, they'd make a big to-do about getting people to come and listen to them, and they saw it as their job uh, to try to convince the crowds of their arguments. The Corinthians loved this stuff. It was like a sport for them. They would show up in mass to listen to these, these preachers and teachers. And it was like a sport. You, you could pretty quickly see sides aligning. Like, you, 
uh, there would be this one preacher and teacher who would say this thing or say it in a certain way that they really liked, and they attached themselves to that teacher. Or there's another one who may have said some of the same things, but said it in a slightly different way, and they like them even better. And so what they would do, like a sporting event, they didn't exactly do this, but you can think about it in your heads, like they then go to the fan shop because they've found out what team they want to be on, and they buy the jersey of the person that they really like, and they start using this phrase, oh, I follow so-and-so. I follow so-and-so. And what happens over time is that they become so connected to that person and to that cause or whatever those ideas, that, that wisdom that that person was uh, sharing, that they could not agree on anything small, even the most minute things that they ought to all be able to agree upon. They were so polarized by those things that they couldn't agree on the most essential things. Does that sound familiar at all? So Paul comes in, and we as armchair quarterbacks 2,000 years later, and we know some of this information, like we know how this is going to go, and it's not going to go very well. But Paul comes in, and he tries to plant this thing, not, not paying attention to those cultural nutrients. And what happens, he thinks he's leaving town, having convinced all these people of the way of Jesus. And what he has convinced many of them of is, I'm a follower of Paul. He says this really cool thing, and I like the way that he talks about it. So then he leaves town, and someone else shows up, and they say, oh, well, that's kind of like what Paul said, but I think he says it better, so now I follow Apollos. Or whoever comes behind them, and suddenly this, this seemingly unified, brand new church is fractured and splintered and being driven to their corners in a way that it's just going to make the whole church blow up. So Paul gets wind of this, and he's not super happy about it, and so he does what he does best, and he writes a strongly worded letter. <laughs> so we're going to read from that strongly worded letter. This is the uh, first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 11. This is Paul writing to them. So, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but instead as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready. In fact, you were still not ready, for you are still influenced by the flesh. For since there is still jealousy and dissension among you, are you not influenced by the flesh and behaving with ungenerate, like ungenerate people? Unregenerate people, excuse me. For whenever someone says, I am with Paul, or I am with Apollos, are you not merely human? What is Apollos really? Or what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe. And each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused it to grow. So neither the one who plants or counts, uh, neither the one who plants, who who plants counts for anything, nor the one who waters, but God who causes the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters work as one, but each will receive his reward according to his work. We are co-workers belonging to God. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, but someone else builds on it, and each one must be careful how he builds 
for no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, there are scholars who have looked at this passage and looked at the, the letter to the Corinthians as a whole and, and tried to figure out what, what's, the, what's leading to the divisions among these people. And so there's, there's questions about, like, is it their theology or practice, that their beliefs about God and the things that they do, are these the things that are driving them apart? Maybe. But Paul doesn't really address those here. He doesn't say, this is what you're believing that's wrong. What he's primarily concerned with is that they can't find a way to be around one another and get along with one another. They can't set aside whatever those differences are in order to be in relationship with one another. It's almost like the, the interactions that I have with my kids almost every single night getting ready for bed. They're in the bathroom, supposed to be brushing their teeth, and some sort of chaos breaks out, and everyone's screaming, and all three of them come out and want to explain to me what the other ones did. This happened this morning, too, right before I came here. And my response is, I don't actually care what you're fighting about. Just figure out how to get along. Paul is not addressing, you know, these are the wrong things that one side is believing over the others. This is the wrong thing that you're doing over the others. He says, you got to figure out how to get along around two shared things. If you just get these two shared things right, then we're going to be on, on the right track. The two things that have the potential to iron it all out, despite their differences, are acknowledging that their foundation, their shared foundation is Jesus, not Paul, not Apollos, not anybody else. Their shared foundation, all of them, is Jesus, and that they need each other. Those are the two things. Those are the two simple things. Those are too simple, though, right? Like, they are, those two things are too simple to be able to iron out everything that was going on in Corinth and everything that's going on in our world, right? Well, they're incredibly simple, maybe too simple, and yet I, I think that sometimes simple things can actually be pretty profound and have profound impacts beyond what we even can imagine. And this, this lines up actually pretty well with what political scientists, the people who study this stuff in our world, in our country, say that might lead to us being able to navigate some of our polarization. Next week, we're going to talk about shared mission. But now, in order to be able to relate to one another, I want to talk about shared experience. What, what people who study this stuff in our country... Um, political scientists tell us is that maybe one of the ways, maybe possibly one of the ways to navigate our polarization is to not focus on the big, not focus on the, uh, the national, but to focus on the shared experience on the ground, on the local level. So much of, of what we talk about and care about and get, get all excited and up in arms and fight about are like national conversations. So maybe one of the ways to navigate our polarization is not to talk about um, abolishing the two-party system or getting rid of the Senate filibuster, but talking about the pothole. Right out there. You know the pothole. There's not actually a pothole out there, but 
If you're in a community with a big old pothole, that's something that we have the shared experience of. We all care about. We don't want to drive our car over that. We don't want to run into that. So you focus on the local, on the shared experience that helps us to realize, oh, we're, we're in this together. Maybe we can get along even despite our differences. And like that, that kind of layers on to us as well. Um, we come from very different spots. You might have very different beliefs, very different practices. And yet, if we can focus on our shared experiences, those of us who say, you know what, we want to follow the way of Jesus in this messy, messy world, and that we need to do that alongside other people, even and especially people who disagree with us, that might maybe smooth out some of those rough edges for us to be able to get along, get ahead, and to be able to actually relate with one another. In 2019, as, uh, as we first moved here to Cottage Grove to begin the work that would eventually become the Grove Cottage Grove, my primary job, the church at that point was me <laughs> and my family, so we had to gather people and build momentum, and in order to do that, we had to get a really good read of this community and the, the types of felt needs that this community had. So my primary job in early 2019 was to meet with individual people and then to to do this community survey that was collecting lots of data about what people loved in this community and what they thought would make this to be an even better place to live. The more I did it, the more in focus these three things became. Over and over again, I, I heard in some variety, people cared about these three things and then if we could help deliver them as a church, we would see success. Number two was good things for kids whether they were your kids or just kids in the community, whether they were little kids or your now adult kids. People in this community want good things for their kids. Number three was a way to contribute to making this community an even better place to live. There's a, a unique sense of generosity in this community and wanting to contribute to something bigger than ourselves. But you know what number one was? Meaningful relationships. The number one thing that people in this community said that they were looking for was meaningful relationships. This is in 2019, before a pandemic hits, before we're socially isolated, before we are separated from one another, physically, and then, you know, over the course of the year, politically, over all sorts of ridiculous things that start to layer on top of each other and start to drive us towards the poles. Meaningful relationships. We need one another. We recognize that need for one another. And that's why we are doing this stewardship campaign, and that's why we're talking increasingly about these Grove groups where you get together with a small group of people even just once a month, and the primary purpose is to build relationships where you can care for and serve alongside other people. It doesn't mean they're perfect doesn't mean they're going to solve everything, but it's an opportunity to gather with people on a semi-regular basis who are going through some of the same shared experiences, trying to navigate life, trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in this crazy world. This does not mean that we ignore our differences. It does not mean that we have to come to consensus on everything. It does not mean we all have to become moderates on everything so that we can agree somewhere in the middle. Jesus' earliest followers did not get everything right. 
They did not agree on everything. They did not agree on many things. They did not agree on hmm, most things. But they figured out, if we are going to succeed in this work of making the world as it is, closer to the world as it should be, we need to figure out how to follow Jesus in this place together. And so my hope and my prayer for us as we move forward as a new church and as we move forward into this new season is that that be our goal. Despite our differences, and they are many, that we focus on our shared experience of trying to follow Jesus together. Doesn't mean we're going to get it all figured out. Doesn't mean we're all going to get it right. Doesn't mean we're going to solve all of the social ills with the world that are driving people to their separate poles. But at the very least, maybe we cannot contribute to making things more polarized. Maybe we as a church, the church at its best, can actually bring people together. So may that be so.